Hey friends, I'm Bryant Russ, and in partnership with Christian Schools International, you're listening to Lighting a Fire. And, and what if we could begin to embody a unified body of Christ in a world that can no longer imagine it? What if we were to live out the ministry of reconciliation together? We would all of a sudden be the most relevant thing in the country. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. So the most popular episode of 2020 was a conversation we had with Michael Gulker, the president of the Colossian Forum. That's an organization whose mission is to equip leaders to transform cultural conflicts into opportunities for spiritual growth and witness. You can find a link to that pre-presidential election episode in the show notes. But today, Michael is back on the show for a follow-up conversation on what it means to be a Christian in such polarizing times. I hope you learn as much as I did. Enjoy the show. So, Michael, thanks so much for coming back to the show. We spoke back in October of 2020 about conflict and navigating conflict in these particularly polarizing times as a Christian community, how to do that well. And I've got to tell you, I part of me maybe foolishly thought post-election, everything's going to kind of get back to normal and we'll all be able to calm down a little bit and, and remember what it means to be following Jesus together. But from your perspective, has that happened or, or has the has the polarization continued? Oh, no, we solved it with the last podcast. <laughs> it's done. I'm We're so good. happy to hear that. We can be done. <laughs> um, well, I actually think that the pandemic just exposed um, the, the depth of the fault, fault lines and our sort of lack of ability to have conversations really well. Christians, you know, especially, you know, we've got this term West Michigan nice. Christians, they kind of like to avoid conflict. Mm. And, and, and when things are going well, you can get away with that. But what the pandemic did is it made conflict inevitable. Uh, and mm. because different responses to the pandemic were politi politicized, political differences and ideological differences that were normally below the surface just became manifest immediately. Are you going to gather or aren't oh, you going to gather? True. Mask, no mask. There was no avoiding it. And we didn't have the skills to do it. And so it's been quite jarring for people to mm. experience this. And I think the alienation has actually gone much deeper and it's going to take a long time to unwind. But it's also alienation that has been there and has been developing for 40 years, if not longer. So it's, it's not going to go away overnight. Um, and, and I would say our current polarization, you know, it, it's human brokenness. It goes back to Adam and Eve, right? But our current situation has a particular shape over the last 40 years, and it's going to take mm. at least as long to unwind it. But that just means that as Christians, we've got lots of good opportunities to exercise our ministry of reconciliation. So the world needs yeah, Jesus. It's a good thing. Mm. You use the term fault lines. That's one of the questions I have for you. And in fact, most of my questions today are gathered from students. I've I let a group of my students know that we were going to have this conversation. I was curious, some of the questions that they had living in the midst of, as a Christian school, some of this polarization and what it feels like on the ground. Yeah. And one, of the, one of the questions a student asked was, we're all pretty aware that there's polarization happening in the world. And the question was, is this the root problem or are these symptoms of potentially deeper issues? You, you kind of just alluded to that, but 
how might you flesh that question out a little bit? Yeah, so polarization is is a descriptive analysis, right? So this is what we see. Polarization, of course, can then sort of snowball, but what's what starts the snowball, right? And it's, you know, there are all kinds of arguments over what the root issue of polarization is in the country. Uh, but one one expert uh, who's been studying polarization for a long time, he, he did like this huge literature survey of all the different all the different uh, factors. And there are lots of them. I mean, some of it's social media, some of it's, you know, disembodied communication, which is another aspect of social media. Um, some of it's, you know, economic disparity. But but he sort of boiled it down to three. It's it's uh, in this country and our current situation, it's income inequality when combined with sort of your your group identity being threatened and then combined with somebody to articulate that grievance. Those three together are like this perfect explosive mix hmm. that that leads to deep polarization. You, you feel under threat. Somebody somebody names it. Uh, and it's there's already this sort of societal problem of income inequality. So that those are that's a big sociological um, understanding of what's going on. And, and we, just... we can see that in, in America. Right. I mean, um, we know there's a growing income gap. We know that both the left and the right are sure that the other side is going to destroy the country. Mm-hmm. And, and there are voices on both sides articulating that grievance. Right. Yeah. And um, even in our Christian school community, it's fascinating to see that, that I'm thinking specifically of the identity threat. It, it's easy for everyone, whether you are more progressive or more conservative, you feel like you're the underdog in a sense. Like uh, it's easy to feel like our identity or the vision and mission is threatened because everyone else or so many others feel otherwise. Yeah. You know, polarization is always going to be related to fear of someone, some group threatening something we really care about. Hmm. Right. Um, So, one group is afraid that the other group is going to ruin the country. One group is afraid, right? You can you can map this out as many times as you want, but often often what's threatened is a good thing, right? So my job is threatened, or my livelihood is threatened, or you know my religious freedom is threatened, right? So all of these things are threatened. Um, so it's rooted in fear of the other, but it's also rooted in this belief that the way to secure what I want is by defeating my enemy rather than laying down my life for them, right? It's Christians have a really, really counterintuitive way of going about it. And so the temptation is to think I have to get rid of that other. That's, that's, that's the threat. Yes, and that's, yes. uh, and you know, I hear this all the time in my line of work where people will kind of despair and just say, well, we'll just wait for the other side to die. Right. They're going to, they're going to age yeah. out or they're going to, or we're going to take back the institution for God or we're going to right. Yeah. And they're different. And, and it's just the other is we just want them to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not how God treats us. You know, while we were, while we were yet sinners, <laughs> you know, Christ died for us. So, yeah, there's something this is rooted in um, in sin, mm-hmm. no doubt. How do you I'm thinking from an institutional or organizational standpoint, how do you selflessly lay down your life? for someone on the other side of whatever the disagreement might be when a lot of it has to do with like the direction of an institution that people do feel strongly about. And yet, so does that mean just like uh, kind of sacrificing the the vision for that of another, or I, I just am trying to think on the ground, what does that look like to love someone self selflessly? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly the right question. And these are, these are questions rooted in 
um, the desire for the institution to flourish, right? And not only that, for the institution to achieve its mission. Hmm. So these are really important questions. It, it can't be something like just roll over, right? Like we just, just give up. By, by thinking about what the institution's mission and vision is, is, is a great way to go. So what is this institution supposed to provide? Well, if it's a Christian institution, it's supposed to be um, helping people discover the love of God uh, through love of neighbor. I mean, at some level, I mean, Jesus, Jesus is asked by a religious scholar, a re religious leader, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say, and by the way, all the law and the prophets, everything else hang on this. So the law and the prophets, they literally are the institutions of the Jewish people. <laughs> hmm. Um, all, all these, every, every Christian institution is, is either to point towards or to produce love of God and love of neighbor. Hmm. So when we're arguing about how the, what, what faithfulness for the institution means, one of our metrics, and in fact, the most important metric has to be, are we deepening love of God and love of neighbor in those who encounter this institution? Hmm. Are we seeing as the result of our engagement with our community and with our constituency, the fruit of the spirit. We have to remember that every single sort of um, doctrinal argument has to not only be measured against its sort of like the truth claim, but also what it's producing, right? So you can, you can have the right argument and still be wrong by how you hold it. And for instance, mm -hmm. I talk often about, you know, I, I grew up reformed, but now I'm a Mennonite and I believe in nonviolence. And I often argue for it with tremendous violence. And that is not a particularly helpful way to convince people of nonviolence, right? I mean, we can, we can have the right argument and hold it in ways that are completely wrong. And so, so if you're, what it means, I think, to lay down your life in the middle of an argument is to say, right now, it's more important for this person to know that I love them and that God loves them than it is for me to win the point. Hmm. Doesn't mean and you give up your point, but it yeah, means right, that right. the reason I'm holding this point, if I'm holding it rightly, is so that people love God and neighbor. Hmm. And certainly not to be a contra contrarian here, but I, even a, a yeah, but about even when we agree that that's the mission, there can be different manifestations of love for neighbor that we that we can disagree about still. Is there a point, Michael, that... I mean, the, the question I got asked after our first interview was, what if that we don't even see what they're doing as the actual Christianity anymore? And the, the irony is that I think we all do that. I mean, even during the, the, the most recent election, I heard people say, well, I just don't understand how an actual Christian could vote for Donald Trump, or I just don't understand yeah. how an actual Christian could vote for Joe Biden. Like, are we talking about different Christianities or I just, it's, it's yeah. yeah, you got, I think there are two questions there that I want to tease apart. And the first one um, is what is the shape of love? Right. And the second one is, is that person even a Christian? And they're related, right. And they're, 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 they're related in important ways, but you know, whenever, when Jesus gives the command to love God, love a neighbor, right. Um, the very, the response is, well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> the response is exactly who am I supposed to love? And, 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 you know, in that, then, then comes the parable of the Good Samaritan and you've got the priest and the Levite, the religious experts, they, they avoid 
and and then you have the good samaritan who's religiously unclean doesn't fit in, into any any camp of you know of, of priest or levite he's just you know and what in and, and he is moved by compassion and so the shape of love is going to be rooted in compassion now one of the things that happens when we are making arguments about truth to say the most loving thing i can do for my neighbor is to win the argument about the truth that does exclude what your neighbor's experience of love is right like are they experiencing the love of god at that moment they're experiencing your need to win what does compassion look like i i compassion does not mean capitulation on the point it means that you have to <laughs> That person has to know you love them before they're going to believe that you're trying to argue with the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about their your love for them, right? Um, and so, uh, if if we can learn to 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 make love one of the criteria, not the only criteria, but the guiding criteria, you'll actually find that you'll have a much more productive conversation in the first place. You'll get further down the line in pursuing truth together, um, and. So, but that leads to your second question about, well, who's even a Christian? And I love these questions. Uh, I can't believe a Christian could vote for, you know, you know, pick your party. Um, well, most of us know people who say they're Christians and who we probably even recognize as Christians that did vote for that person, mm -hmm. right? Go ask them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you you tell me you're Christian and I believe you, I want to believe you, or especially if it's somebody you really respect and admire, say, I respect and admire you. I don't know how you did that. Can you explain to me how your Christian commitments and voting for that person works? And, and that actually, that's a fantastic question to ask, right? Like, um, we tend not to ask it, we tend to dodge it and just write that person off. Um, but when we ask that question, and and if we actually really listen to the answer, you'll probably discover that there's somebody sitting there across the aisle trying to be faithful, and they see their vote as an attempt to be faithful. And if you listen really carefully, they'll, they might ask you the same question. And you might discover that the reason you voted that way was because you were trying to be faithful. Well, now you've got a common goal of faithfulness. And the voting is, well, that's just an expression. Now, maybe you could begin to pursue faithfulness together and get out of the way the distraction of voting is somehow the only way that faithfulness is expressed. It's, mm -hmm. it's not. It's, it's one of the least important ways, right? It happens once every four years or two years. or, um, and, and that's just not where love happens, right? That's not where life happens. Hmm. Oh, amen. Yeah, you know, I, in a theology class working through my seminary degree right now, and I found it so refreshing comically. It was a Reformed theology class, and we were talking about total depravity of all things in the Reformed tradition. And it was, it was this sounds so silly, but it was like the most welcome news as I read specifically in Romans, where there's the division happening in, in most of these New Testament churches, oftentimes between Jew and Gentile. And there's there's so, so many different experiences, different stories, different histories, and now trying to be one people. Mm -hmm. How does this work? This, this doesn't work. It can't work. And I, you know, I've often maybe exclusively read those famous words about you have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I realized maybe for the first time of, of how this was like a uniting move for mm -hmm. Paul 
saying, hey, let's start in the, the place of commonality. <laughs> you're, bo- you're all wrong. <laughs> you're all, yeah. you, you have all wronged God. And that's maybe the, the, the most, uh, maybe the most like, united place to begin. And it is acknowledging as an individual, I- I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, I think of the G.K. Chesterton line when asked, what's wrong with the world? When he said, dear sirs, I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm often, when I engage in conflict or in an argument or debate, if I'm in that place. And yeah. I wonder how it might look differently if I was. Yeah, you know, I think one of the reasons it's so hard to stay in that place is because we do kind of think that we have to win in order for the things that we love to be protected. Hmm. Right. So we're in this self-protective mode. And, you know, um, uh, you know, it is important. It is a leveling factor to recognize that 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 all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's also really important to recognize that while we are yet sinners in that state, God died for us. Hmm. Christ died for us. Um, so what's more important, even than the fact that we've all sinned, is that we're all already beloved of God and that mm. there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And so there's not actually we don't have to defend ourselves. Jesus didn't defend himself. Right. We can let go and we can we can um, not need to win. We can uh, recognize that Christ has already won. Right. Um, we so often in these conversations think that it's our job to hold things together or that it's our job to make sure the truth is accomplished. Well, it's already, the, the, the truth is true <laughs> and all things already hold together in Christ and the dividing wall has already been broken down. How are we gonna live into that? How are we gonna, how are we gonna testify to that truth with our lives? Mm, amen. Um, but so often we're, we're, you know, we're, we're arguing the, the micro point because we think that's necessary for the whole to hold together and it's just mm. not. It um, doesn't mean the point's false. It's just we've put we've put the wrong emphasis on it. It's it, it's it's meant to do something else, which is to testify to the dividing walls being broken down. Hmm. Oh man, amen. Michael, I want to go to a student question. I loved it. It was so simple, but such a great question. Uh, young man said, "If we're all reading the same Bible, where does the division come from, <laughs> the Christians?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, that is a great question. Um, you know, you, if, if you're taking classes over at the seminary, you know a little bit about how the canon came together, right? I mean, sure, it, yeah. the, the Bible itself is a pretty contentious book. Um, but, you know, it's a big book. It's a big book. Which parts are you book. reading? Which parts are you emphasizing? Which version are you reading? Which questions are you asking? The You know, is it possible that the Bible itself might have different perspectives on particular issues? I mean, I think this is self-evidently true if you read Joshua and Judges, right? I mean... Joshua is this triumphalistic, you know, that, you know, and then, uh, you know, it's, it's Joshua coming into the land and judges is much more ambiguous. Was the, is this okay? You know, it's, it's a mess, mm. uh, the monarchy versus the, the prophets. Right. And now, um, it doesn't mean that the Bible's a mess or doesn't have a consistent message. It just means that part of the Bible is God's people wrestling with God and each other and their own sin mm-hmm. as God's reshaping us into the image of his son. And the fall and our brokenness are part of that, right? And so we, we're, we're very tempted to use the Bible in the same ways that we use other self-protective mechanisms, right? So we can use the Bible to secure ourselves against our enemies, right? And so, um, 
fortunately, you know, God does give us some guides to reading well, which is, again, um, if you if, if your reading produces love of God and love of neighbor, you're headed in the right direction. And if you're seeing the fruit of the spirit, you're headed in the right direction. I mean, this is a longstanding tradition of the church and Augustine in, in dealing with people that were worried about reading the Bible. Well, he, he just said, look, if you're reading the Bible in ways that um, produce love of God, and love of neighbor, and you're reading it wrong, you will eventually get to the right answer because. Oh, amen. And if you're if you're reading it right in ways that aren't producing love of God, and love of neighbor, you're still wrong. <laughs> hmm. So make fruit of the spirit and love of God, and love of neighbor, your guide as you seek the truth. Right. Um, because the truth, the way the truth and the life, they hang together. Right. They're not separable. Hmm. Oh, I love that, Michael. Amen. And Michael, sometimes I feel as though we're existing so often, or at least I'm existing in this kind of broad, general, national, or sometimes world news world in which a person's opinion about this or that, or, you know, what do you think about this controversial hot topic? That's the most important thing to discuss or to know about a person. And yet one of the byproducts is I often fail to be present in the most local of news, like what's happening in somebody's life. I I got together with a friend recently and we talked politics. We talked kind of big picture stuff. And afterward, I found out that his parents are in the middle of a divorce after our conversation had ended and we parted ways. And I, and I realized I didn't know that. I didn't wonder about that, nor did I connect with how my friend is doing. Like we were in this kind of broad categories and I never even heard about his actual life. Um, do you think we're too saturated in, in kind of the macro world at the expense of being curious about the lives of people around us? You know, I think this is a great question. I think, of course, of course, I agree with that. Um, and the reason I agree with it really strongly is that the the macro questions, as you put it, you know, these big, broad national questions, they've been winnowed down to two options. It's very simple. Uh, and whichever option you hold, you know who the good cops are, and the bad cops are. And and that storyline works on a Twitter feed. And it's very compelling because it taps into some of our most basic, you know, human emotions of, of tribalism, right? Like we're over against this person. We know who the good cops, and bad cops are, and we know how to act. Mm -hmm. um, it makes for good news. It makes for good, for good entertainment, but it does not make very good common life because we're not that simple. We can't be reduced to a binary left, right, Life's a lot more complicated, but it's a lot easier to win an argument against a hypothetical enemy than it is to live with somebody, right? It's a lot more morally challenging to live well with somebody than it is to fire off, you know, a nasty gram, right, in, in social media. And so I, I actually think this, this fixation on, on the national politics of left-right is an evasion, both of the moral obligation we have locally, but it's also cutting us off. And I, I am sure that the devil is dancing over this. It's cutting us off from the richness of shared life together, right? Mm, yes. You know, this, this, um, this division of the world into left and right. Um, another, another question that you had mentioned, I just loved, you know, in your email to me was, um, do we need more words or, or uh, no? Yeah, what, yeah. Do we, do we need better words? more specific words. And I just thought along the same lines, the words liberal and conservative are fine. It's just, they're like red and blue. 
they're two colors, but the human eye can see 10 million colors. Hmm. So if you only live in red and blue, you're going to miss, you know, 900 <laughs> plus <laughs> million yeah. colors, right? Yes. And so we need more words. We need we need to let our 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 shared histories and experience and different histories and experiences interact in this richness of common life. And I think what's happening is our common life is being sucked dry by the 24-hour news cycle and, and, and the political machinery. And I think, mm. it's, I think again, I just think that the devil is dancing all, all, all over the place on this. It's the as opposite much. of the incarnation. It is the opposite of the incarnation. Explain God comes down to live among us. And, and now, you know, the, the embodied is, is just getting sucked out of our life. Hmm. Oh, so true. And as much as I, I, I feel as I genuinely desire unity and have the capacity to empathize with someone over here or someone over there, I find myself doing this all the time. Are you A or are you B? Because mm -hmm. those are the only two options. Even right. we had a, a guest speaker at church and I remember thinking like, are you even, even and, and like you say, red and blue, it's, it's the easiest categorizing, but I thought, I wonder if this person voted this way or that way. Like yeah. that was the, those were the only two options for this human being preaching <laughs> was, I wonder if they're this or that. Yeah. It reminds me of that old Dr. Seuss book called the Sneetches, I think, where the Sneetches are all one people. And then one starts wearing a star and then there are starred Sneetches and unstarred Sneetches. And and all of a sudden, you you want to know which one you are. And then there are two snars. And then what happened recently with the mask mandate being all upended is our categories got mixed up. I used to go into the store and I knew who was who. Mm. Now I don't know who's who. Right? I, our, mm. our, these categories become so determinative of our lives. Um, but again, we we miss the richness, right? And, and, and I don't want to say that these categories are wrong, but we just have to make them the starting point, right? That, that's why, okay, let's say I look at your mask and I know how you voted, so I think, and I know you're a Christian and I disagree with it. Well, ask the next question and get some more color. Well, mm -hmm. tell me how that worked. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you really understand being a Christian and doing that? Because I don't get it. That, that, you know, put more color into your life. Ask the question. <laughs> Expect to be surprised. I mean, one of the things that we lose in our, in our focus on right answers and categories is is the fact that we've been created in the image of God, which means we should expect to discover God in one another, <laughs> right? Like th the richness of life in communion is to come to know God in each other. Um, and I don't think we have many places where we're experiencing that anymore. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that the reason we're so polarized is because we have so few places where we experience God in one another. Well, I guess I just am kind of getting antsy wondering like, so what, because everything you're saying, I'm saying, amen, like I, I sense this, I'm seeing this. So how do, how do we do this? How can we pursue this? Well, I think there, there are a few different things that have to happen. First of all, you just, you have to recognize the God-given opportunity that God's people have right now. We are in a country that's more divided than any time since the Civil War. And 93% of Americans, not just Christians, 93% of Americans are longing for something better. There's a longing for a richer life together. And Christians have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we've been given um, 
the gift of the Holy Spirit and the practices of communion and fellowship uh, that allow us to live out that ministry of reconciliation. So communities, Christian communities that are experiencing polarization are actually communities that are constituted by people that are no longer spending time together anywhere else. And, and what if we could begin to embody a unified body of Christ in a world that can no longer imagine it? What if we were to live out the, the, the ministry of reconciliation together? We would all of a sudden be the most relevant thing in the country. <laughs> yeah, and, so and so, so you have to have this vision of the differences that we have are actually the place of possibility. And, but then you have to have um, a, a set of practices that actually bring you together to discover God in each other. And it's possible to discover God in somebody that you think is flat, dead, wrong. Hmm. Because hmm. God believed we were created in his image when we were flat, dead, wrong, and he staked his life on it. Hmm. So Amen. we need to enter into spaces to practice that together so that we can actually experience the truth uh, of, of really resurrection life, of the spirit doing a new thing in our midst where the world itself can't imagine it. But right now, the church is rarely doing that because we, we, we reflect the culture too deeply. Hmm. But when people do experience this, I mean, it's what Paul says, new creation. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the water, doing a new thing right in front of us, creating possibilities that didn't exist before by simply asking that question. How is it that you think you're being faithful? Because I, I actually expect you to reveal something of God to me when you tell me. Hmm. Oh, man. Yes, yes. Uh, another student question kind of related when I described what the Colossian Forum does. A student said, is is unity the only priority? In, in other words, I think she was getting at, is there a point when we recognize in an institution or a Christian community that we're so different, that we think so differently about what it means to live into, say, our mission and the vision of this place that it's actually necessary to part ways? Or do you think that's a betrayal of this, uh, that this most kind of central call to be unified yeah. followers yeah. of Jesus? You got some great students. That's a fantastic question. <laughs> I um, do. I'm very fortunate. You know, uh, unity isn't a priority. It's a fact. Hmm. It's reality. All things already hold together in Christ. Now, it's counterintuitive in a world that tells a different story that says it's dog eat dog, right? Nature's red and tooth and claw, fend for yourself. But that's not our story. The story is that the dividing wall between heaven and earth has been broken down. And that means the dividing wall between Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, black, white, left, right, has already been broken down. The question is whether or not we're going to live into that. Um, and, and so, have we been tempted into a view of the world that things don't hold together in Christ? I, I think I think we might have. <laughs> I think we might have conceded the game. Um, now, now that doesn't mean that in the real in in the brokenness of sin, um, we're not fully living into the reality, right? Um, there may be times when, just like divorce, what God has joined together, let no no man pull apart. There are times where divorce happens. Well that unity is is not meant to come apart, but we, God makes accommodations, right? Um, and so there is an accommodation that God makes. Maybe we do need to separate because we don't know how to live into God's reality right now. 
right? But who are we when we do that? <laughs> um, it's kind of like when a couple has to have a divorce, it can be ugly um, or it can be amicable. The difference is how many years of therapy their kids are going to have. Hmm. What happens if you separate in ways that recognize that the separation is not God's ultimate end, but it is where we are now. And we're going to leave open the possibility that somehow we're going to live into God's God's future together, even though we can't see it. But in the meantime, we're going to love each other the best we can. We're not going to condemn each other to hell, right? Mm. We can recognize that we're seeking Jesus and have to part as part of our brokenness and in humility. There's an enormous difference there, right? Because then you're in this, you're in this confessional posture to say, we still believe that all things hold together in Christ, but we have to recognize that we are too broken to embody that right now. And we are going to, we are going to put our faith in God's future. And until that time, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, even though I completely disagree with you. Hmm. That, that, you know what, right? I actually think this, this, that capacity, that capacity to bless each other as we separate may be the single most important thing the church can do today. Because let me tell you, if we have an ugly divorce, there may not be a church in a couple of generations. Mm-hmm. Because our kids, our kids expect us to disagree. They grew up in a different world, but they expect us also to act like Jesus when we disagree. Mm. Man, these are some <laughs> powerful words. And I just... Uh, <laughs> want to repent of all the ways <laughs> that ego gets involved so quickly. And like you said, I, I feel a need to defend or to protect something good and important. Uh, but that Jesus is telling a different story rather than destroying my enemy, dying for my enemy. I, mean, I love Mark's gospel, Michael. It's so fun. The, the, the first eight chapters, everyone's asking, who is this guy? Who is this yeah. guy? And then in chapter eight, we get this, Peter says, you are the Messiah. And from then on out, it's, well, what does that look like? Well, what does that look like? Because (laughs) there's just these fundamentally different understandings of what Messiah looks like and what it means. And it's going to mean conquering, right? And all the way up until this crucifixion that it's like, wait, this isn't what I thought it was. Right, right. And, And there's this weird sense in which all the way along, Jesus is living life to the full. And the way that he lives life before the resur- before the resurrection and after the resurrection is the same. Hmm. And it's eternal life all the way through. Living life in this in this Philippians 2, that's the way the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live. And there's um there's no dismantling that. There's no destruct right? You can lay down your life and on the other side is life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that Jesus faces his own his own death in confidence that on the other side is life, right? And so the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we're caught up into when we follow Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And so all of this fear that we have, and it it's they're good fears in the sense because there are things that we love that we're afraid to lose. There's nothing wrong with that, but our mode of hanging on to them is screwed up hmm. and jesus mode of hanging on is to be obedient unto death and all things are given to him hmm. and we're also offered all things michael the colossian forum works with all kinds of different christian organizations navigating conflict 
do you have any examples or stories to tell of places where you've you've seen this done really well? Uh, I don't know if success is necessarily the, the the right word here, but but basically where this has been successful that people have there's been reconciliation, and if so, what wisdom have you gleaned from from those communities? So there are all kinds of examples of what I'm just going to bluntly call new creation of, mm. of the Holy Spirit doing a new thing. And sometimes they're big and dramatic in, in the sense of institutions avoiding big catastrophes. Sometimes they're less dramatic in the sense of the institution still separates, but they did in a way that looked a little bit more like Jesus. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, a group being together, talking across differences and discovering Jesus and the other person. Hmm. Um, oftentimes it's a cross-generational understanding where by bringing people together, uh, older and younger folks together into one place to talk about a really contentious issue, you know, um, we'll often say, well, my grandpa's not here, which is good because I wouldn't talk if he was, but talking to you helped me understand my grandpa and love him a little bit better. <laughs> right? Or I, I, I can't talk to my grandkids about this, but I'm really glad to talk to you. I don't agree with you, but at least I understand. I'm really grateful for you. Right. These little things. But but what I would say that the the real beauty is, is, is that it creates possibility for the next faithful step together. Right. Um, because you ask the question, because you learn to um, be present with that other person, vulnerable to that person, vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit creates a new possibility for the relationship to take the next step. Even if that step means separation, it can still be done in Christ with a hope for a future together. Hmm. Right. And so, yeah. yeah, go ahead. You use the word understanding and misunderstanding so many times that it just reminded me of, I mean, it just abounds. Misunderstanding just abounds right now. I, it, part of my SEM class, we had to read a few of the, Zondervan came out with a um, four views on salvation or four views on the Lord's Supper or four views right. on the yep. church. And reading those has been fascinating, first of all, but I'm amazed by how probably for most of these essays, the first 70% is explaining what this isn't <laughs> because <laughs> it's been misunderstood, right? So here's my position on this particular topic, but you probably think this, no, that's not it at all. And let me explain what it's not before I can actually in the last few pages say, here's what it actually is that, that I, I almost wonder, like if we just went into this, my enemies or those I dub my enemies, if I just expect I'm misunderstanding them, it's just, I wonder how much that, how much of a difference that would make. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that's a lot of it. Um, and, and certainly coming to understand can be helpful, but if it, if it sort of just stays in the realm of information, um, I'm not sure it's going to get where we need to go. I think understanding has to move towards compassion for what that person is pursuing. So um, I might disagree with somebody, but what situations in their lives have led them to hold what they hold? Why are they holding what they hold? Can I identify with that? Um, um, you know, it's it's well known that folks that are conservative on on traditional marriage often flip flop when their son comes out. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? Is that just a capitulation to culture? Or is there something else going on? 
Um, you know, what, how, where is the, what is the role of people's life experience in understanding and misunderstanding? And that's where I think compassion comes in. Um, and, and, uh, and I think, again, if we leave things sort of in the realm of the factual or propositional, we try to pretend that somehow we don't have a goal in the argument. And I want to say we always have goals and some of those are holy and some are not. So I want to get to conversations about what our positions reflect about what we love. And some of those loves are going to be good and wholesome, and some of them are, might be just a little off and need to be examined. But again, that's a place of compassion. Like, okay, how did you, how did our, all of our loves are askew? How do we, how do we straighten them out together? Hmm. Um, so I, I, I just think that the, the, I want, I want to, I want to add more words. I want to add more colors, right? I want to say, Okay, yes, there's arguments, there's misunderstandings about propositions, but there's also misunderstandings about lives and experiences. And, mm -hmm. and that this journey into understanding is really a journey into deeper love of God and love of neighbor. Um, because God's at work in all of those experiences. How can we help discover them? Michael, talking with you is such a gift, my friend. I'm grateful for the wisdom you're sharing, not just with me, but with our audiences, with Christian schools around North America. Man, I, I, I let's do this. Our next conversation will be a celebration of how the Christian church has lived into this calling. <laughs> that sounds like a good conversation to me. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Let's do that. Let's do that. And let's, um, let's come, let's come with examples. Yes, yes. We'll call it new creation. There you go. <laughs> that That is it, though, because when you hear Jesus talk, like that's the proof. Yeah. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, right? And, and the new creation of these communities that don't belong together, but are because of this Jesus guy. That's the proof. I mean, that, and that's, I think, man, if the world could see that, ah, oh, if we could make Jesus famous for that, that would yep. be such an incredible celebration. Yep. Yep. And, and, and it's happening. And we, we often don't have eyes to see because our eyes are focused on Fox or CNN and that macro story. But if we pay attention a little closer to home, we can, we can begin to recover our, our, our vision. Um, mm. Right now we're kind of like that blind man uh, could kind of see, kind of can't. Mm -hmm. um, and we need Jesus to, to, to wash our eyes. Michael Golker, thank you so much for joining us. Always a gift. My pleasure. Love what you're doing here. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure you subscribe to the Lighting of Fire podcast so you don't miss an episode. As always, feel free to email me with questions or ideas at bruss, B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. In partnership with Christian Schools International, this is Lighting a Fire.